Welcome to the weekly podcast from Faith Community Church in Janesville, Wisconsin. For more information about Faith Community, please visit our website at www.faithcommunitychurch.net or check us out on Facebook by searching Faith Community Church Janesville. You can also reach us by email at podcast at faithjanesville.org. You can be a part of this ministry and help advance the kingdom by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a five-star review. This helps us spread the word of God in the podcast world, allowing us to better reach more people in the name of Christ. So Bertie Baker, who is the woman on the right, she is one of our founders. She would have been there that very first Sunday in January of 1990, and she's Navajo Indian. So our church was founded in part from a Navajo Indian who is still one of our members. And just excited about this trip, this opportunity, we're inviting our Spanish congregation, we're inviting State Line, and we hope that we have a good representation from Janesville as well as we take the gospel outside of our four walls and impact our world for Christ. So good morning to you. Good morning to those of you online. We're so glad you're with us wherever you're watching us from. We know you watch us from different parts of the country or even in other countries. And we're so glad that you're watching today and entering worship with us. So our bookmark is from the book of Luke. It says, from now on you will fish for people. And what we are doing is going through the life of Jesus in this gospel project chronologically. And now, finally, going to be getting into the teaching of Jesus. But before he begins his public ministry, he begins to enlist others to help him that we call the disciples or the apostles. It's interesting that God doesn't do it alone, isn't it? I mean, you think if there was ever a person who could say, I'm just going to do this by myself. It'd be Jesus. But Jesus doesn't do that. He enlists the help of flesh and blood, right? This, this treasure in jars of clay, Paul says, as God has entrusted you and I to be his ambassadors with this very important message. If I were to say to you, what is a disciple? Could you define that? If I were to say to you, tell me what it means to be a disciple. How does one become a disciple? Or what's required of a disciple? Could you answer that question? I hope if you couldn't, by the time we're through today, you can. We're going to take a look at Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, and the calling of the first disciples. Chapter 5 says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Lake Gennesaret is just simply another name for the Sea of Galilee. And so there's what the Sea of Galilee looks like, uh, and that's where Jesus is as he makes this call. So he was at the water's edge, uh, at the water's edge, two boats. He left them by there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats belonging to Simon and asked him to put a little out from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And while Jesus is doing this, there was a stirring in the hearts of Peter and James and John. God is working in their hearts. They are starting to see the world differently than they did before. As a fisherman, you work long hours. You'd get up in the morning and fish all day. At night, you'd prepare what you caught, and you'd deliver it to the market, and you'd go home and eat, go to sleep, and you'd get up and do the same thing the next day. These are commercial fishermen, and they've got a big operation. There's multiple boats, multiple staff. And they work long and they work hard, but this particular day they worked long and they worked hard and they've caught nothing. You ever put in a full day, maybe you're a salesman and you didn't sell anything and you worked the whole day for nothing and then you kind of know the feeling? These guys worked all day and caught nothing. If they don't catch anything, they don't get paid anything. It's a discouraging day. The fish just weren't coming in the nets that particular day. And so they got nothing better to do, so they listen to Jesus, and they're inspired. And before Jesus calls them physically, 
the Holy Spirit was working to call them spiritually. There is a work going on in their lives. So when Jesus makes his appeal to come and follow him, they're ready to go because they see there's more to life than what they saw. There is an adventure ahead, and they want to be a part of it. And when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, you know what Peter's going to say, right? He says, Simon answered, Master, he's going to be respectful. Master, we worked hard all night and have caught, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Just, just to be nice. Not that he expects anything, but just to be accommodating. You've done that before. I've got a psoriatic arthritis, and I have people with remedies all the time, and they'll say, we want you to drink apple juice with cucumbers and, you know, raisins, or I don't know, whatever. I mean, they just make up something, and it'll work. And I'll say, it's not going to work, but okay, I'll drink it, right? I'll try it. So you, you're just trying to be nice and accommodating, but you just know it's not going to make a difference. That's what Peter's doing. I'm just going to be nice. I'm just going to obey what he says, but it doesn't matter. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. <clears throat> We've got a picture of that, too. It will show you, just kind of envisioning what that might be like to have your nets that full. And they signaled their partners in the boat to come and help them. And they began both, and they came and they filled both boats so they began to sink. Imagine that. Think of the profit, right? And that's money. All of a sudden, man, it went from being a terrible day to a great day. It says, then when Simon Peter saw this, he was excited. And he said, cha-ching, we're rich. I can't believe it. Great job. Can you come back tomorrow and do that again? That was awesome. Is that what he says? He says what? He fell at his knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And he means it. He doesn't want Jesus there. He is afraid of what just took place. He's like, what manner of man is this? Who in the world could fill nets like this? You know, just a moment's time, the fish began to fill the nets. And he knew he had encountered the divine. When creature encounters creator, this is the natural response. This is Isaiah in, in heaven in God's presence saying, you know, I am a man, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, right? If you truly encounter the divine, this is a natural response. I've told the story, and this is the shortest version I'll ever give. I was in Florida, and my car had been towed, and I had no money. And I couldn't get my money out. It was $150 a day. And so I, I got into a taxi cab to try to get to my car, and I prayed, God, help me. And the taxi cab driver knew my name. He says, you're Pastor Jeff from Faith Community Church. I listen to you online every week with my wife. And he bails out my car. Want to know what I felt when that happened? God, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. When I began to think about, you know, I come out two seconds earlier, two seconds later, that cab is gone. But when I say, God, help me, bail out my car, I don't know how to get my car, that exact moment, an empty cab driver pulls up on a Friday night in Orlando with a guy that knows my name and bails out my car without me asking him to. And God showed up. And when God showed up, I was frightened. I didn't get excited about it until later. I just saw the splendor of God, the power of God manifest and it was frightening. It's like, God, you do know everything. You can do anything. And I was intimidated by that. Peter is intimidated. He is afraid. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, and Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. This is an object lesson. What I've done with fish, you're going to do with people. This is an illustration for you, Peter. This is going to be your life. And here in the next verse, this is the very definition of discipleship. 
How do you define discipleship? Verse 11. So they pulled up their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. This is a disciple, right? A disciple is one who follows Jesus. A disciple is one who obeys Jesus. A disciple is one for whom Jesus is supreme in their life. This, there are verses in the Bible that are the very definition of courage or faith. This is the very definition of discipleship. And I want to share with you several principles of discipleship and also a couple of key words with each principle. And the first one is that disciples are sought. Disciples are sought. And I say disciples are sought, you might say by whom? And the answer is by God. God is always the seeker. God is always the initiator. And our key words here that I'll explain in a moment are spirit and grace. In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters the woman at the well, right? We'll get to that story eventually. But they're asking all kinds of, she's asking all kinds of questions, and Jesus is trying to address her questions and her questions about worship. And he says, yet a time is coming, and a now has come, when true worshipers, if there's such a thing as true worshipers, what must there also be? False worshipers, right? They're worshiping in a wrong way, or they're worshiping a false god. He said, well, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father, what? The Father seeks. The Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And we'll talk about that in just a little while. In Luke's gospel, the 15th chapter, what happens? Three stories. There's a lost coin. You ever lose something really valuable, right? And, and it just consumes you. And you're like, how could I lose that important document, that important investment? How could I lose it? And then when you find it, you're happy. You're ecstatic. This coin was this valuable coin. And when it's, lo- when it's found, the finder says, I'm so excited. Let's have a party. This is fantastic. This coin meant so much to me, and I found it. And then there's the, lep- the shepherd who loses the sheep. And goes on a search and leaves the other sheep until it finds the one, puts it on his shoulder, and he goes home excited because the lost lamb is found. And then, of course, the prodigal son, right? And the father's looking and searching for the son and rejoices when the son comes home and says, the son was dead and he is alive and he has a party, right? The seeker, God is the one searching in all those parables, The Father is the one who is searching and seeking in every one of those parables. God is the seeker. Make no mistake about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Some of this is from God. Did I say that right? How much is from God? All. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, his disciples, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us, the church, the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So whether God is seeking through his spirit, whether he's prompting through his word, whether he's using these jars of clay, we are the ones who are his ambassadors. He is the seeker. He is the initiator. We are the responders. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son to the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Where does discipleship begin? It begins with the Father. It begins with a God who loves you, lives sinners enough to seek them. It is a matter of spirit and it is a matter of grace. It's not a matter of how wonderful you are, how great you are, right? And how holy you are. All this is from God. So that's the first principle. Disciples are sought. 
Secondly, discipleship is something that is also caught. You say, what do you, what do you mean by discipleship is also caught? When Jesus is calling his disciples, we're, we're going to take two key words here, time and proximity. In this spiritual principle of discipleship being caught, there must be time and proximity. This is finding somebody who is an example or a mentor and spending time with them and being in close proximity to them. So you observe how they live out their faith, how they live their lives. This is what Paul talks about when he says, you know, the things you've seen in me and heard in me and watched me do, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So when Jesus is calling his disciples in Mark 3, it says, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him. That's really significant. With him means they will see Jesus all the time. Not just when he's in the spotlight. Not just when the miracles are taking place. Not just when he's teaching the multitudes. They will see Jesus all the time. They will see Jesus when he wakes up in the morning because they're traveling together. When he wakes up in the morning with bad hair and bad breath. They will see Jesus after they did the miracle of the 5,000 and the loaves and the fishes. And they're gathering up the baskets and the crumbs. And everybody's gone home and Jesus is tired. They'll see him. They'll see Jesus when he's hungry. Did Jesus ever get hangry? They'll see him walking down the road, right, on their way to the next village, anticipating what's going to happen or talking about what has happened. He'll see how he treats people, how he treats his fellow disciples, how he responds when bad things happen, like when his cousin is killed. How does Jesus respond when these tragedies take place? How does he interact with people when by the thousands they're clamoring for his time, clamoring for his attention, clamoring for his touch? How does he treat people? How does he pray? How does he interact? They're going to be with him. And they will learn when he teaches, and they will learn when he does miracles, but they will also learn simply by being with him. Discipleship is also caught. When I was 19 years old, I had an amazing weekend. I was interning at a large evangelical free church, a mega church, a couple thousand people. And on a Saturday morning, one of the pastors invited me out, and he said, I would like you to come back and work. When you graduate, I want you from Trinity, I want you to be one of our pastors, and you're going to be, in, I think it was like young marriage or something like that. So a large church, but a very defined, focused ministry. And I was like, wow, that's good to know that I've got a job waiting for me when I graduate in a couple years. That afternoon, I asked Brenda if she'd marry me. And she said yes. And so the next morning, my home church in Rockford, pastor introduced us and said, and announced our engagement and said, and when Jeff graduates in a couple years, we'd like him to come back and be one of our assistant pastors. So I had two job offers in one weekend. Now that church was a startup church. It would eventually grow to be a large church of about 1,500 people every week. But at that time, it was a very small church. And I thought, well, you know, I'll get to watch a church from the ground up, watch it grow, whereas this one has been around for decades and is already huge and a very specialized ministry. There I'll have a broader range of ministries and experiences, which will be beneficial. But the, it, the mega church paid a whole lot more. I mean a whole lot more. But here's the thing. The man who would be my boss was my pastor since I was a little boy. And I had great respect for him. And I wanted to see how he lived his life. 19 years old, right? I'm going to get married and be a dad. I want to be a pastor. I wanted to see him behind the scenes, not just when he's in the pulpit. How does he treat his wife? How does he treat his kids? How does he treat his staff? How does he treat people when no one's looking? How does he respond to problems and crisis? And I wanted to see it with my own eyes. I wanted to be with him. We'll go out to lunch. We'll, we'll talk as we're in the hallway, whatever. Talk about ministry. And so for almost eight years, I was with him, served alongside him, learning from him, not just in the sermons, but learning by watching him lead. 
That was a right decision I made, right? That was an important decision, an important part of my discipleship and my growth as a believer and a pastor. It's important to be around somebody that you respect and trust and admire who is living the life of a disciple. Spend time with that person. Put yourself in proximity with them. Learn from them. Pastor was going to a seminar, and he found out he had an opportunity to be by one of the men that he idolized. This was a leader of leaders. He was a pastor of pastors. And he says, I get to see him not in the pulpit, but I get to see how he gets up in the morning, prepares for his day, how he goes to bed at night. And as he concludes his day, he's probably going to be at his knees praying for two hours in Aramaic. You know, he'll probably, you know, this, it's just going to be an incredible holy experience. And so he gets to his room early that night. He gets in his jammies. He gets tucked in and he waits because this man of God is, I'm going to watch him. I'm going to find the secrets to how he is the way he is, how he's so anointed. The guy puts on his jammies, brushes his teeth, gets to the bed, says, good night, Lord, and turns off the light. The guy says, what a ripoff, he thinks to himself. I got here early for that. Good night, Lord. Maybe it was just a bad day. Maybe it was a busy day. Maybe tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow will be the long devotional in Aramaic and the time on his knees and all that. Tomorrow it was the same thing. Good night, Lord, light goes off. And after the third day, good night, Lord, light goes off, he was thinking, what a ripoff. And then it hit him. The light bulb went off, and he said, wait a second, wait a second. This is significant. He's not doing like I do. I kind of don't talk to God all day. And at the end of my day, I got to dump everything, right, and go to sleep. He's not doing that. He has invited the Lord with him all day long. He is in a constant dialogue, as Paul says, pray unceasingly. He is in a constant dialogue with the Lord all day long. So when he comes to bed, he's concluding a conversation that has been going since he woke up in the morning, and all he simply has to do is say goodnight. He goes, whoa. It was more powerful than anything he learned in any seminar that week. And it happened because it was caught, right? And so... That's an important part. But I'm not negating that third. I'm not negating disciples are also taught. What we learn is really important, right? Key words here are truth and transformation. Not just truth, but truth and transformation. Jesus gives the great commission, Matthew chapter 28. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and do what? Make disciples of all nations. That's why Faith Community Church exists, to make disciples. If you're, not, if you're a church, you're not making disciples, you might as well close your doors because you're not fulfilling what Christ commanded you to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. To learn what Jesus commanded, to follow what Jesus commanded. And then he speaks to you and I, literally. What do you mean literally? He's speaking to the apostles. Yes, but he's also speaking to you and I. He says, and surely I am with you. Who is you? His disciples. His disciples who are making other disciples. I am with you to the very end of the age. Jesus understood these words would be written down and recorded for us. The disciples would not physically be on the earth to the end of the age. Peter is not 2,000 years old today. Peter's in heaven, right? So when he says to the end of the age, who is he talking to? He's talking to you and I. He's talking to this cycle of believers as Jesus trains them and equips them. They become disciples, and then those disciples equipped others, and they became disciples, and eventually, over the centuries, that came down to you and to me. And now it's our turn. And someday, those who we disciple, those who we are mentors to, it will be their turn as well. Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. He says, And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to perfect people, who will be qualified to teach others. It doesn't say perfect people, does it? It 
It says reliable people. Real people, authentic people, genuine people who love Jesus. They're in it for the right reasons, right? They love God. They love people. They want to see people come to know God. They're the real deal. He says entrusted to them. They're not perfect, but they're reliable. And it's really important. This is not just about truth, but transformation. It says in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where does the transformation start? It starts inside. See, if you have just an external set of rules, and you say, well, if I just memorize these rules, and I know what the Bible says, that's good enough. All you end up with is legalism at that point. That's not transformation, it's legalism. If you're simply trying to know what God says and then your own willpower, do it, number one, you'll fail. And number two, you'll be walking in legalism as the Pharisees did. The Pharisees said, if I just know the Bible and can spit it back out and regurgitate it, right? And I'm going to do, I'm going to observe the Sabbath. I'm going to wash my hands like it tells me to wash my hands. I'm going to give the gifts and offerings it tells me to give. I'm going to observe the holidays, etc. Then I'm good. And Jesus says, you're not. You're like a beautiful tomb on the outside, but inside is full of everything unclean. What matters to God is the inside. Transformation. This is spiritual, right? This is not just external. What happens is if once I know truth, then the Holy Spirit gives me understanding of that truth, changes me, transforms me from the inside out, makes me desire to pursue that principle, that truth, that scripture. He changes me. So it's not a matter of my efforts. It's a matter of the Spirit working in me and through me. It brings me, truth does, to Jesus. We're to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We need both, right? This is what Jesus challenged the Pharisees with. He says in John chapter 5, He says, you diligently study You study the scriptures diligently. He pays them a compliment. He says, I can't take anything from you. You scribes, you Pharisees, you lawgivers, you really do know your Bibles. You really do. The reason you study them diligently is because you think that in them you have eternal life. If I read it, know it, try to follow my own willpower, I'll have eternal life. And Jesus says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. You see, these scriptures bring us to Jesus. We know his word that it might bring us closer to God. We learn his word that the spirit can transform us from the inside out. To change our hearts, to change our attitude. You might be the greatest surgeon in the world. But I guarantee you, you might be the greatest heart surgeon in the world. One thing you will never do is operate on your own heart. The greatest surgeon in the world will never say, okay, scalpel, you know, give me the saw. Doesn't matter. You cannot fix your own heart. All right, you need outside intervention. I don't care who you are. You will never fix your heart. You will never of your own merit, of your own accord, of your own wisdom, and of your own strength fix your heart because you're the problem. You're the problem. You need transformation. You need God to do a work in you from the inside out. That's what happens when you're a disciple. God changes you. And he changes the willingness of you. The desires of your heart are changed that you want to conform. You want to follow. And you love Jesus more. That's what this is all about. It's not about your head knowledge. It is about knowing and loving and following Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the calling of the disciples, this object lesson where Jesus transforms them and says, from now on, you're going to fish for men. And Lord, you want to transform all of us. You want to take us from the mundane and the ordinary. And you want us to do extraordinary things for you. 
You want us to be transformed from the inside out, that we're not conformed to this world. But, Lord, we become like you. Lord, help us to be disciples. Help this church to make disciples. And thank you, Lord, for the truth that we heard today. Might it draw us to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And you're looking at your watch and you're thinking it's 1053 and we're going to get out of church early. And you're wrong. <laughs> you couldn't be more wrong. We have a video that one of our own people is going to become a Bible translator. Well, you take, go into a, a people group who've never read the Bible in their own language, learn their language from scratch, and translate that into the New Testament. So that one day, after decades of work, you have a Bible, physical Bible, you can handle, hand to a group of people so they can read the story of Jesus. That's hardcore, man. That's as, you know, that's as real as it gets. And one of our own people, Sally Thompson, Pastor Jesse's little sister, is going to be embarking on this journey, and you're going to have a part in it as well. Let's listen to Sally as she tells us about what the Lord is doing in her life. Hi, faith community. I'm Sally Thompson, and I've loved calling this church my home for nearly 15 years and seeing God work through his people here. He has used you to help me grow in my faith and to encourage me even when I was halfway around the world in Indonesia. I'm so happy to be back with you for a while, and I'm excited to share something new with you and invite you to get involved. In 2011, I was challenged through a Bible study here at Faith to pray Ephesians 3.20, that God would demonstrate in my life that he would do abundantly more than anything I could ask or think. I was terrified at first of what he might ask me to do, but eventually I could pray without fear. As a result, God led me to serve in Indonesia for eight and a half years. Through my time there, I was stretched far beyond my comfort zone and learned to grow in my dependence on God. I also developed in confidence of how he's made me specifically with a love of grammar and linguistics. When I asked God how I could use this to bring glory to him, he opened the doors for me to join Wycliffe Bible Translators. This printout lists the names of the more than 2,000 languages in the world for which there is still no translated scripture. That's 167 million people who cannot read the Bible in a language they clearly understand. Wycliffe's vision is for people from every language to understand God's word and be transformed. Transformation such as that which took place in the Hadi language group in Cameroon. Translator Lee Bramlett had learned that almost every verb in the language had forms ending in the vowels I, A, and U. But when it came to the verb to love, he could only find I and A. Perplexed, Lee asked the translation committee, could you devi your wife? Yes, they said, that would mean that the wife had been loved, but the love was gone. Could you deva your wife? Lee asked. Yes, they said, that kind of love depended on the wife's actions. She would be loved as long as she remained faithful and cared for her husband well. Could you devu your wife? Lee asked. Everyone laughed. Of course not, they said. If you said that, you would have to keep loving your wife no matter what she did, even if she never got you water, never made you meals, even if she committed adultery. You would be compelled to just keep on loving her. No, they said. We would never say devu. It just doesn't exist. Thinking about John 3.16, Lee asked, could God devu people? There was complete silence for three or four minutes, and then tears started to trickle down the faces of these elderly men. Finally, they responded. This would mean that God kept loving us over and over, millennia after millennia, while all that time we rejected his great love. 
he's compelled to love us, even though we've sinned more than any people. One simple vowel. And the meaning was changed from, I love you based on what you do and who you are, to I love you based on who I am. God had encoded the message of this unconditional love right into their language. And the number of Christ followers quickly grew from a few hundred to several thousand. I feel God's leading in my life to be part of the work of Wycliffe Bible Translators by training in linguistics and going to my assignment in Mexico, where there are more than 300 languages, but fewer than 30 of them have a complete Bible. I'd like you to, get, to invite you to get involved as well. I won't be able to start my linguistic training until I have 100% of the monthly budget Wycliffe has set for my ministry. Would you prayerfully consider becoming a regular financial partner in my Wycliffe ministry? You can also join me in prayer. I need people who will commit to praying for God to open doors for his word and to equip me for the task he's called me to do. I also need advocates, people who will introduce me to friends, groups, or churches who might be interested in investing in the Bible translation movement. However God leads you, I want you to know how much I appreciate each of you at Faith Community Church and all of the ways you're reaching the people around you for the glory of God. So, now we have an opportunity to respond to that. We've got some little papers that Sally's prepared for us that have the contact information if you'd like to be a part of her ministry, to pray, to find out what's going on. And I'm going to ask if you guys would distribute those to everybody here and get, just get as many hands as you can and just pass them out. We'd like everybody to take one so you can be familiar with Sally's ministry. So you can go to her website at Wycliffe.org and learn about what she's going to be doing and follow her. And I'd also like you to consider financially. I would like for each of you to consider giving $10 a month, $2.50 a week. You might be able to find that in your couch cushions the floor of your car, would you consider $10 a month? You can do more if you want to, but I'm asking you to consider $10 a month. She is at 60%. If we had 500 people this weekend give $10 a month, and I'm talking to online folks as well, we would get it done. We'll have over 1,000 people hear this message this weekend, not counting the Philippines. If just one quarter of those people, if 250 people gave $10 a month, she meets her goal. And she can focus not on fundraising, but on preparing and going to school for linguistics. So that's the challenge. Uh, if you would like to give, you say, well, I want to give, I'm going to give $10 a month, and I'm going to give it today. I want to give for the whole year. I want to give 120 Then you'd make your checks for Sally out to Wycliffe Bible Translators. So you can do this at home. Just put your contact information on a piece of paper. Say that you want to be on our mailing list, etc., and make your check out to Wycliffe Bible Translators, not to Faith Community Church. Judy, our bookkeeper, is in this service, and I'll be in big trouble if I say make it out to Faith Community Church. <laughs> Creates a lot of work for her. So make it out to Wycliffe Bible Translators. All right, and let's put Sally over the top. That's my goal. My goal is by the time the weekend services are through and the dust settles, she'll say to me, I'm at 100%. I'm ready to go. And so this is the beginning of a long, long journey. By the time she finishes, your little one might be married with kids. You might be a grandparent. You might be a great grandparent. This is a lifelong endeavor, and our church needs to be behind her, and we are behind her. We are going to be, regardless if nobody here gave a nickel, we are going to be supporting her every month as a church, aggressively, uh, as you would expect us to do. So let's stand together and let's pray for Sally as she, as she embarks on this journey, and we're very proud of her. I know, I know Big Brother is proud. Mom and dad are proud, and uh, we know she's going to serve the Lord faithfully in Mexico as a translator. 
And so we'll pray for our offering as well. If you're giving online, the drop arrow is there. And of course, if you're here, we've got offering receptacles around the room. But we're so thankful for the giving of this body. You know, we are an aggressive church. We're aggressive with world missions. We're aggressively staffed. We are doing, we are aggressive in home missions. In other words, we're busy, right? And you're investing in good soil here. And we are making an impact in our community and in our world for Christ. So thank you for seeing that. Thank you for partnering with us in what God is doing here through Faith Community Church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to bless the offering and the giver today. Thank you for the fruit that our ministry has bore because of your spirit working in us and through us. And we pray right now for Sally Thompson as she is devoting her life to a people group, devoting her life to the translation of the scripture and into a, a previously unknown language, a language where the Bible did not exist. Lord, what an what a incredible endeavor that is. And Father, we pray that you would help us as a church to put her over the top, to meet her goal, as she can say, I'm, I can now focus on training and focus on beginning the work that you've called her to do. And we thank you that we can partner in this ministry with her. And we pray your blessings upon her as she begins this journey for you and for your glory and for people who don't know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. God bless you. If you need prayer, please come forward and we'll pray with you.
Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Community Church Podcast. We are glad that you joined us and hope that you were blessed by the message. If you would like to join us in the ministry of sharing the Word of God, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. This helps us build the analytics of the channel, allowing us to better reach people in the name of Christ. Go be the light in your family, your community, and your church. God bless you.